Hey, listen, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn, uh, if you will, to, uh, to 2 Corinthians, and we'll be there in just a minute. And, uh, but welcome, uh, welcome uh, today to our service. There's only really one thing I want to tell you about uh, that is um, this tonight uh, is our last beach baptism uh, of the year. And so then after this, we will kind of be, um, you know, we'll, 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 it's not till May till we have another one. And so, uh, so if, you, if you'd like to be baptized tonight, you can sign up after the service. I'll remind you at the very end, right out in the hall, there's some tables there that uh, some of our deacons are sitting at, and, um, and they kind of oversee the beach baptism. And uh, so if, you would, uh, if you'd like to be baptized tonight, you can sign up right out there. All right, even if you think you may or may not to, go ahead and tell them so they can prepare for possibility. So, uh, so anyway, I wanted to tell you about that. Well, if you've got a Bible again, go ahead and turn that Second Corinthians passage. Today, we've been in this, uh, we've been starting, we've been doing this series, and it's such a, uh, it's such a powerful thing. Uh, it's such a powerful, it's such a powerful look when you truly understand, because when Jesus said these, these beatitudes that they're called, uh, you know, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, and, and, you know, blessed are those that mourn, and blessed are the meek, and, and, and then just, if you just read through them, you're not going to nearly catch uh, the majority of what Jesus is talking about. But when you slow it down and when you look at what he's saying, it is a, it is a powerful look. So we started this thought, strength to overcome. Uh, we started this thought a, a few weeks ago when we talked about Solomon. And I, I started off with the dilemma that lives, the dilemma that lives in all of us. And that dilemma is what is it that you're looking for to come through for you? What is it that, that, that you know, C.S. Lewis called it the, you know, the hole in the soul that everyone has and that there's nothing in this life that will ever fill it. Why? Because it says in the Bible that God has put eternity into your hearts. Therefore, you were created to have a relationship with the God who created you. And nothing temporary, that is, that's in that world, will ever truly fill that place. And so people go from thing to thing, and that's what happened with Solomon. In fact, Solomon tried to fill those play, empty places, and Solomon had the intelligence, he had the resources to where he could pretty much do anything his heart desired. And so he starts throwing all this stuff in his life, looking for, looking for you know, something that would bring meaning, purpose, right? Or it would, uh, it would, it would bring contentment, because you were created to be content. Therefore, that's why discontent drives us so much. And so, so anyway, so Solomon went down. There's a whole list, and Ecclesiastes was the book that he wrote about his, his attempting to do it. And he, he went down the list, right? And, uh, and down, he went down the list and tried a whole lot of different things. And he kept coming back with the thought of meaningless. It's all just meaningless. He says it's like chasing after the wind. And, um, and finally, he got, he got so discouraged and down. It's, he said there in a statement, chapter 2, he said, so I hated life. And you look at a Solomon, and you think to yourself, wow, Solomon, how, how could you hate? How could you hate life? 
when you have all this stuff, right? So that became, that became the thing that you and I, that I wanted to talk to you about. Solomon, again, Solomon is, is sharing, if you will, uh, it's an issue that all of us face, just to differing degrees. Because again, it doesn't matter what happens, doesn't matter what you have, doesn't matter what you achieve in this life, doesn't matter how wealthy you become or, or how wealthy you would like to have become and live with regret, it doesn't matter if you get to do this, don't have this, it doesn't matter if, or if I just had this relationship or if I could just find my soulmate or if I could just, there's always something that's ahead, but I'm here to tell you if you find those things, it's not what you're looking for. It'll be cool for a while, but then it kind of deteriorates. We called it the first week, the law of diminishing returns, right? It's an economic term. And just this, again, why? Because it's not, it's not what you thought it was going to be. So, so that becomes that, the issue that, that we all live with. And so Jesus talked about that because Jesus made these um, statements, <clears throat> like I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. And then Jesus said, Come unto me, all of you who, we're, who are weary and heavy laden, that is burdened down. I'll, I'll give you rest, peace, contentment, all same, pretty much the same word. And you know, sometimes people who, who are believers raise their hand. They get honest enough to raise their hand and say, you know, when does, when does that begin? I'm waiting for that to begin. So, so Jesus told us how it happens. And the problem is, is that we've got way too many believers that, that think the path to that type of freedom comes still from this world, like Solomon did, right? Still from the stuff around you, whatever that stuff may be. So we've been talking about it. First week, really, not the first week, the first one was blessed are the poor in spirit. And well, I spent two weeks to talk to you about that. And what is blessed are the poor in spirit? Well, first thing, First step towards this road. Christ said it was for freedom that I have set you free. And we're not just talking about physical freedom. We're talking about the freedom in here. And so, and so, so step one with these Beatitudes was blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, it doesn't mean what, what the word poor in spirit means. It doesn't necessarily mean that because all of us are poor in spirit, right? Scripture says for all have sinned, right? If I'll show the glory of God, the scripture says, so, so all of us are poor in spirit. So blessed are those, what Jesus is saying here is blessed are those who, who can see it. And that was the parable that Jesus told between the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Is that the Pharisee was blind to himself. Tax collector could see it. Pharisee was blind. So blessed are the, what does the word poor in spirit mean? It means bankrupt right? Bankrupt in and of who you are in here, realizing who you are. Because it's those who realize it. It's those who realize it that see their great need. You know, that Pharisee in that parable, you know, he just thought he was wonderful, you know, because he compared himself to most everybody else. And at least outwardly, he lived a fairly moral life, or at least probably a very a very stellar moral life outwardly. But it was, it was said of him that he went home not right with God and the tax collector who lived, who lived a very immoral life went home right with God. Why? Because he saw who he was. 
So there is, it is a great gift. It is a great gift to be able to see who you are. It's not a fun gift, but it's a great gift. Why? Because it drives you. It drives you to find who Christ is. So we spent the last two weeks talking about that because I'm convinced in the culture in which we live, everybody, I mean, psychologists and psychiatrists and all the rest are constantly telling you that you're wonderful. And that if you have any problem, it has to do with some sort of illness. And that's not the truth. You're bankrupt, right? Sometimes somebody says, well, I just don't know why I feel so guilty. And, and I always like to look at them and, well, it's because you are guilty. You know, but boy, oh, you shouldn't say that. That's judgmental. No, we got to get a good look. Because if you don't ever see who you are, you will never go to him for help and find the help you need and fill those gaps. This is the direction and how you get there, right? Now, I do understand that this is not politically correct. I gave up on that a long time ago, right? I'm not sure I ever started it because I have found that the wisdom of this world, the philosophies of this world tend to be, seem to be the exact opposite of God's wisdom. Right? And you're going to see it here because it says here, blessed are the poor in spirit. That is, blessed are, blessed are the ones who can see their own bankruptcy. Right? Which leads us to the next one. And this one's, this one's a strange one until you, until you hear me talk about it. Uh, because when you think on it, it says, it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, for it's God who works in you both the will and to work for his good pleasure. So God's the one that's doing it in you. He's the one that's working in you. He's the one you're gonna find what you're looking for, and he's the one you're gonna find the strength to do what he's called you to do. But the next beatitude I wanna to talk to you about today is a strange one, and it, and it says in Matthew chapter five, verse four, it says, blessed are those, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. No, you're, you're looking and you're thinking, okay, you know what, that, that's, that's great. But Jeff, I mean, so does that mean I need to go to funerals a lot? Right? And because of the way we use the word mourn. We use the word mourn almost exclusively in our language for grieving over death. But remember, that's not, that's not all what the word is used. For. Really, it's a, it's a word for brokenhearted, right? Blessed are the brokenhearted, um, for they're going to be comforted. Well, brokenhearted over what? Well, when you add it to what you learned last week, it really helps you understand this whole thought of brokenhearted over your own bankruptcy, Right? It's just the next step in Jesus' progression for those of you who have ears to hear. The next step is just to take a look and, and not only see that you're, that you're bankrupt, but, but you're brokenhearted about it, right? Say, Jeff, it just is, I don't get what you're saying, you know, because I just think you ought to be happy. I, and I just want to ask you, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I just want to ask you, how's that working out for you? 
Because I have found personally, those who make it their life's goal to be happy never get there. They'll have a few moments of fleeting giddiness or thrills, but they usually are so short-lived that I'm just, that is, isn't that incredible? So Jesus is saying that the, the direction is to, first of all, realize who you are. Oh, what good is that? I'd rather live in my own Jeff world, right? I'd rather not know those things. I understand. That's the way most people live. You know, people are trying to tell you, the higher educated people are trying to tell you, we're all basically good, you know? And, and, but the Bible teaches the exact opposite. That's what I'm saying. You're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to go with one or the other. But here's the great picture is that after that, there's that, blessed are those more. So what does that even mean? Well, let's walk through it like we did the last one. Now hang with me. I've got some illustrations that are gonna help you understand this. My bet is that, that a bunch of you who are believers, there, there are some here that, that you're not a believer and you're trying to understand. I think you'll get a good grasp today. But if you are a believer and you've read these Beatitudes before, chances are you've never truly ever understood them. Because when you read down through them, they read quickly and you have to think through them. You know, Jesus said that in his parables and in some of his teachings, he would, he would, he would hide, if you will, the truths of them to whereas the only the ones who truly find them are the ones who seek them, right? Just a casual read, you will not pick up on these. But those who seek, Christ said, will be the ones who find. So if you want to know what these things mean, again, you have to seek them for yourself, even more than just hearing me talk about them. Anyway, so let's, let's jump into it. So number one, what does it mean? What does it mean to mourn? Okay, uh, let's get, when we're trying to understand this thought, what does it mean to, what does it mean to mourn? It's responsing to some, it's a response to something that's tragic or terrible. We usually mourn those things that we have no control about. So therefore, it's used almost exclusively now for, for, for death. But I want you to understand that when you understand, when you get a good look at who you are, poor in spirit, there will be a response to that. And, and the scriptures talk about it. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to walk through this one pretty slowly. Look at this. It says here, for godly grief... Grief is just another word to, other than mourn, right? For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Okay, those are all words you don't hear today. You know, because the reason that people don't see their need for Christ, even the reason that sometimes believers don't even see their need for God in their lives is because they don't see themselves. And so when you think about that godly grief produces repentance, repentance is a word you don't hear about. What is a repentant heart or a repentant attitude? I've explained the word repentance to you lots of times, but basically it means to change your life, to change your direction that you're heading. Change is possible. In fact, the strength to overcome, that is what this whole series is about, change. 
Changing who you are, making the changes in here. Where are you going to find the strength to make those changes? Strength to overcome, strength to change, whatever you want to call it, it's the same concept. So godly grief, grief produces repentance. Repentance is, a, is an attitude of a heart for being broken and sorry for something that's, that happened. And a repentant heart wants to change. True repentance, not fake stuff. Not just cause you got caught stuff. Okay, let me, let me tell you what I mean. Um, I remember being a, being a parent. I love using the parental type illustrations because God is our heavenly. Okay, so, so he has taught us something about who he is in our lives. If you're his. Okay, if you're not his, this doesn't apply. At least not yet. But if you're his, this applies. I want you to think about this, okay? I have four children, okay? And, um, and as it's been shared, I, they, our, our house is really quiet now. It's one of the strangest things. I mean, for 26 years, we have been parents. We were, you know, we've only been married 27, and so we'll be married 28 um, um, in, 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 a, in a week or so. But so we've just been parents, and that's been, so, so not being parents is, is really strange, right? I mean, we're still parents, but, you know, it just is real quiet in the house. Uh, anyway, so I look at Martha and say, hey, what do you want to eat tonight? And it was never like that before, right? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting off pack. But, but let me share with you a little bit, let me, let me share with you a little bit about being a parent. You know, my kids were not even close to perfect. I never had that illusion or delusion, whatever you want to call it. I just didn't have that because they were not perfect. And God had put me in their lives as their dad. And so I, I, I loved my children. I, I got into their lives and and uh, especially in the early days, you know, we, I did as much as I can to be in their lives and to know them. And we developed a pretty good, a pretty good relationship. Um, it was tough through some of the early years, but by the time we got, and I remember they got a little bit older and, and they would blow it. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Kids blow it. Don't be shocked when they do. You probably blew it a lot worse than they did. And so, so I would look and and I would look at them, and, I, and, and sometimes all I'd have to do is say, oh, man. I said, I, I'm really, I am really disappointed. And I know psycho people tell you that you're not supposed to share disappointment. I totally disagree. Uh, but anyway, I said, I'm disappointed. And they would fall apart, right? just brokenhearted. Okay, that's what it means to mourn. Why? Because you care enough about your father's opinions and desires that it breaks your heart when you mess them up. Are you hearing me? That's what it means to mourn. And when you look at them, and when you can, of course, you have to have a good relationship. And 
And sometimes even when you have a good relationship with them, sometimes it doesn't go that well. Right? But, and I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But, but those that are in the Father's will are the ones who respond to his disappointment by grieving over it. If you don't grieve over your own disappointments of him, then there's problems in your relationship with him. Right? Does that make sense to you? Why? Because that's what it is. Right? That's what it is. And I could always tell in a kid, my kids, four of them, I could always tell when there was a repentant heart. Can you put the verse back up for me? I could always tell a repentant heart because it would go through that process. It would go through that process of, of grief and mourning and doubt. I'm so sorry. I really messed up. And, and, then it would, and then it would go past that to, Dad, I promise that's, that's not going to happen again. And a lot of times people would say that. A lot of times people say that. But usually, if you know them well enough, you can tell. A true repentant heart wants change desperately. Does that make sense to you? Now it makes sense what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are those who mourn, for they're going to be comforted. What does the comfort part mean? We'll look at that in just a minute. But that's the part afterwards, after I've gotten on to them, I want them to know that I love them, forgive them, whatever. And it's amazing the comfort it brings to a kid's life when you do those things. And it's amazing if you're his child, the comfort it brings to you. When you come to him, first of all, bankrupt, not making excuses. Second of all, truly grieving over, do, do the things that break God's heart break your heart, right? And does it break your heart when, when you've disappointed him? It tells you a whole lot about you as a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, say, I don't care, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Okay, we'll knock yourself out, but that's not what we're talking about. Now, younger years, you know, kids are incredible. I have some, I had some kids that were soft-hearted. I said, had some that were hard-headed, took a little more work. And I mean, I, I remember I could say that to, to one of my kids and you know, I, I'm just disappointed. And she'd look back at me. She didn't say it out loud because she knew better than that. But she looked back at me like, so? Does that make sense? So there was more work needed there. And we got there. We got there. Uh, we got there. But see, your work in children's life is for them to know, yes, that you love them, but much more than that. Because it's those who love their children who have the opportunity to guide them. Right? And yes, to break their heart. And that goes against our culture. But there's nothing wrong with looking at a kid and saying, because God does it in our lives, you know, I'm disappointed that you would do that. And it breaks their heart. There's nothing wrong with those things. That's what leads to what the scripture says is godly grief that leads to repentance. See, it's that sorrow. It's that mourning that drives us towards change. But if, as long as we make excuses... Right? As long as we as long as we say, well, this is what everybody's doing, or I'm not near as bad as everybody else, or but see, I'm not talking about kids, I'm talking about you. 
And you do know that you have a heavenly father who, if you're his, that he knows, right? You know, I had to really study my children. I, I, and I tried my hardest because I'd been a youth pastor for 10 years and I'd seen so many parents who lived in fantasy world about their kids. Y'all know what I'm saying? Especially in our culture, you know? And I'm like, can you not see? You know, I remember as a, as a student pastor, can you not see how big a jerk they are? And you're not saying anything. Does that make sense? And because, I mean, have my kids been jerks? Of course. But they're not going to be that for very long if I recognize it, right? But I, I remember. So I, I tried to look at, no, there's no such thing as an objective parent. I know that. But I tried my best because, because I wanted them to grow in their relationship with the Lord. And I found out in, in, in doing things with children, as is, is, is I learned from God's work in my life, is that when I became a believer, that was the first thing that bothered me the most, was just the life of sin that I had lived. And, and it was just, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a prerequisite to even becoming a believer. If you've never seen yourself as bankrupt, then you've never come to Christ for salvation. You just have to hear that, okay? Why? Because that's what lets you see your needs. So you see your own bankruptcy, and then, and then there's a brokenheartedness over it that leads to repentance that comes to him in faith, right? That's how the whole thing works. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here, not just for salvation, but also for believers to, to find the road towards the real contentment and peace they're looking for. Well, Jeff you know, poor in spirit and mourning doesn't sound like a very fun road. I know. It doesn't sound like it, but it is the truth. The fun road doesn't lead very, to, to many places that are good, right? In fact, they lead to a lot of frustration and disappointment. They start off fun, but they don't end fun. But this one's a different one. This is the road that Jesus talked to us about going down, you know? So, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces, produces death. Okay? For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced to you. What do you mean by earnestness or eagerness? It means when you begin to grieve, it becomes motivational. That grief leads to repentance and it becomes motivational. I want this, I want this to change. Right? It's an amazing thing. So that's what Jesus is talking about. When he is talking about what does it mean to mourn, that's what he means. Okay? It's a response to being powerless. You know, my my phrase, I've shared this with you before. My phrase I hear from so many people is that, well, you just have to, you just have to forget it and move on. And, uh, and I found that that is not possible, right? Because number one, you don't ever forget it. And number two, you don't ever move on very fast away from it, you know? And uh, I just gotta, I've just got to put it behind me and, and get on with my life. The problem is... You just don't put those things behind you. They, 
They follow you. You'll see it in just a minute. David talks about it, all right? When you, when you see what happened to him. As we talked about it last week, I want you to see a little bit more of it today. Okay, so, so, uh, so number two, what does it mean to comfort? Well, that makes sense. I'm just gonna take just a few minutes here. What does comfort mean? Comfort is, is an amazing concept, but, but if, if, like going back to the illustration with my kids, if I, can, if I confront them and, it, and it, it breaks their heart and there's mourning and there really is grief, I, it, and then afterwards, my goal as a dad is, is, is just not to make them feel bad. My goal for their life is change. Okay, that's not, okay, that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to be that way. But then afterwards, there's always the sit in my lap and cry for 45 minutes. And it's incredible the comfort that a kid draws. Right? Comfort. That is comfort for a painful situation. Let me give you an illustration. When I played football, I, you know, I, I hurt that, this ankle here. Uh, if any of you have been to dinner with the pastor, I always share a little bit of how I became a believer, and that's part of it. And I still have a steel plate, Nate, screws in this ankle. And, uh, that was, and it, it works great. But, um, but that was back in a time when that type of surgery was cutting edge, right? And, um, and I remember when I got to, when I got to the, the, um, the hospital, you know, emergency room, they checked me in through because it was real bad and um, dislocated and other things. And so when they did all this surgery, what they do is, is that after the surgery, because it's pretty, pretty tough surgery, pretty invasive, uh, you know, they don't give you any pain medicine so that you'll wake up. Does that make sense? And it's, that's, the, that's the pits. It's the worst because you're in this twilight and it's pain, terrible pain. And you're in the twilight from being under in the surgery, right? And it's like trying to fight out of a dream and you can't speak. You know, about the only thing I could get out was hurt. And, you know, and I wasn't but 20 and, and 19, and, and this nurse said, Mr. Parrish, I'll never forget that. And I'm like, 19, you call me Mr. Parrish. Well, Mr. Parrish, you're going to be fine. We just have to make sure you get out of, you know. And it was, the, it was torturous. Some of, the, some of the greatest pain I have ever had in my life. In fact, it pushed me to the edge to where I'm, I was wondering if I was going to pass out or not. It was that painful. And I was laying in that bed, and once I'd come to, and I'd answer all their dumb little questions to let them know that I'd come to, right? I'd, 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 oh, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about if you've been there. If you haven't been there, hopefully you'll never be there. Yes, I know what the day is. Yes, 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 yes. You know, George Washington's first president. Got it. Please do something about this. And, uh, and then finally we, we got through, you know, that I, I live in the state of Tennessee and they, and they, brought, they brought a shot. And um, it was, it was, it was Demerol. And I'm convinced that Demerol is God's gift uh, to, 
<laughs> to, uh, because it was one of the most amazing feelings because I'd never had anything like that. And, uh, <laughs> and with such pain, and literally after they gave me the shot, um, the, I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been in that kind of pain, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the flashing red light. It was, and it, and all of a sudden it's like, it's like somebody was, took a wrist at and turned it down until finally it just went off. And I was like, oh, okay. That's called comfort. I just, you know, I love sharing with you what things mean, okay? And, uh, and the problem with physical pain as opposed to the pain that we have in here is um, whenever we try to medicate that pain, it makes it feel better for a little while, but it just comes back worse. And so that becomes the great thought, right? Blessed are those that mourn. That is, think about this. Blessed are those that are brokenhearted over their own decisions, their own bad choices, their own sin, their life, what do you want to call it? Because God says, I'm going to comfort them. So guys, that's the road. See, I could always tell one, one of my kids, well, I don't always tell, but I could mostly tell because I was in their life. I, I could always tell when they were sandbagging me, right? You know, just just admitting to whatever they had to admit to, to get out of trouble. But I could tell a, a repentant heart, and that's what you look for, right? Because, because that's the heart that's going, that there's going to be change in, right? That's the heart that's going to be change in. So we've talked about a couple of things already. We've talked about what it means to mourn. We've talked about what, uh, what comfort, right? What comfort is. And, uh, and number three is getting comfort into your life, all right? And obviously, God's already promised that comfort, so it'll come from him. But I wanted you to see something about this whole mourning process. You know, in Psalm 51, verse one, if you want to turn there, I'm gonna be there for a few minutes. I told you the story last week of David, right? King David. And he was an incredible, he was an incredible man. Um, God used him in a lot of ways, but, but he made some really, bad decisions. We talked about one last week. Um, obviously, he, he, had an, he had an affair, right, with this married gal, and she comes up pregnant, and, you know, he, he didn't actually kill her husband, but he puts her up at the front of the battle. He might as well have. And he puts her up at the front of the, him at the front of the battle line, and he gets killed in battle. And, and you know, I find that it's interesting that, that David was, was, it didn't bother him at first, right? But I get that one, right? Because how many of us have done things when we were younger that'll still haunt you 20 years later, right? And so, but it didn't bother him at first. And then until the God loved him enough, because God's not going to let you get away with that if you're his, Right? If you're one of these people that tend not to be able to get away with anything, that probably is a good sign you're his. Because he's not going to let you. Right? Well, I do whatever I want. Nothing ever happens. That's not a good sign for you. 
right? Because God sends somebody to David. Name was Nathan and confronts him. And, and it hits David like a brick when God through Nathan says, I'm really disappointed in you. And it breaks David's heart. Not because he got caught. Why? Because it didn't matter. He was king. All right? He wasn't under the law. He was the law, if you understand monarchy. He could do anything. In fact, it was true. Probably, he probably justified what he'd done because that's the way all kings acted. And he was a lot better than most. All right? But it broke his heart that he broke God's heart. And it's what made David David. It wasn't that he was a perfect person, but he wanted to have a good relationship with God. It was important to him that he had his father's approval. Right? And when he found out he'd messed up like he did, when it when reality hit him, it broke his heart. And because he was an artist, right? He was a musician, poet slash artist. He had a sensitive nature enough to be able to express it in verse, in music. I've always wanted to be able to do that. I'm just not that very, I can quote people. You know, I can say, man, that was cool. I wish I'd have written that. But I, I just, I don't have that. But I love, I love the way because it expresses what I understand, what I feel. And he recorded that broken heart in Psalm 51, okay? And I'm not gonna be able to read it all to you, but I just want you to, I want you to hear the emotion behind the words of this brokenhearted man who was brokenhearted over his own really bad choices. But brokenhearted because he disappointed his father, right? Let's read it. Psalm 51. It says this in verse 1. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He says, God, I know you love me. All right? I know you love me. Let's continue. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. God, what can I do? You know, it's one of those, if I could go back and take that back, I would do it a thousand times. God, where do I go from here? All right? Wash me thoroughly. You're going to see blot out, wash, cleanse. You're going to, it's killing him. Why? Why? Why is it killing David? Because what God thinks of him matters to him. So the question I have for you, does what God thinks of you matter to you? That's the biggest thing to understand about you. But it, it broke his heart, right? Let's continue. Wash me uh, thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know by transgressions, and it says here, my sin is ever before me. <laughs> if you've ever been there, you know what we're talking about. It's like, okay, okay, I just, gotta, I just gotta forget it and move on with my life. That's the philosophy of our day, right? But everywhere you go, it just follows you around, right? Well, I'm gonna go out and run, all right? I'm gonna go out and run. And so you go out on a 10-mile run, and that helps for a while because there's so much pain. 
running 10 miles, you don't think about it. But as soon as you get back in the house after running and you sit down and you catch your breath and it just kind of floats over again right in front of you. David says, I cannot get away from this. Now you can do something. You can start telling yourself, well, I don't care what God thinks. And you can kick your conscience to the point where it doesn't bother you anymore. But that leads to its own terrible, terrible directions. When somebody's conscience is so calloused that they can do things to people and it not even bother them, then, then they're, they're in for some, some bad roads ahead. So you either gotta do one of two things. You either have to kick your conscience to death to where it doesn't bother you anymore, or you're gonna have to make it right. And this is what David is expressing. Incredible. Okay, let's continue. Um, my sin's ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and I've done what's evil in your sight so that you may just be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin my, did my mother conceive me. That doesn't mean his mother was sinful in, in, in conceiving him. It just means he was born a sinner. There was, he knows how bankrupt he is is basically what he's saying. Because I know the sin that lives in me. I can try to act like it's not there, but I know it's there. It's a battle that wages inside, is what David is saying here. Okay? But you delight in truth in my inward being, and you teach me wisdom uh, in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Hyssop was a, was a little shrub that they used in some of the sacrifices. All right? uh, wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Do you, you hear it? It's over and over and over again, and it, it has a lot more poetic language when it, in the original language in which it was written, which was Hebrew. Let me hear joy and gladness and let the bones you have broken rejoice. We're just talking about broken bones. Basically, the guilt is eating away at him to where his joints are hurting. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. Is that when these things eat at you like that, it'll begin to steal your health. Right? Interesting. I continue. That's what he's saying here. Uh, hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. He says, create a, in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In other words, God, it's a repentant type thing because renewing a right spirit means that, God, what led me to do what I did is not the person I want to be. So therefore, renew a right spirit in me. I think you understand what he's saying. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, Basically, he realizes that the reason he's king and has the ability to be king was because God had filled him, because we saw earlier where God had filled him with strength, with his spirit to be able to be the king. That's what he's asking about. Cast me not away from your present. We just said that. Look at verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold within me a willing spirit. Okay, he'd lost his joy, right? He'd lost his joy. And the thing that he wants the most is to be back where he was. And that's in a relationship with the Lord. And that, that's what David talked about. David is a prime example. If you want to know how, David was able to overcome what he overcame. Because for most people, if you pull something off, if you pull something like that, adultery, eventually murder of the person's wife, that, that pretty much defines you for the rest of your life. 
And, uh, and David, David made the change. But I tell you what, it wasn't an easy one. Right? It wasn't an easy one. I'm going to have to close. But I want to I end with a few things for you to take from here. It's going to take us a couple of weeks to walk through some of these things. But I want you to see them. I want you to see them. Because I'm convinced that we have enough people that are saying, okay, I want, I want to know. I want to know the direction, okay, to define what God is talking about. And a lot of times it's the road that nobody chooses. Nobody chooses the way of mourning, right? Who would want to? Life's too short, right? Life's too short. Be happy, right? What is that? Pack up your troubles and your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. Y'all remember that? Okay, what a, what a load of garbage, right? All right, go give that a shot and see how that works, you know? <laughs> smile. But this road will lead to genuine smile, right? That's what you're looking for. Not just the outward, but the inside, which is what he's promised. Okay. A couple of things for you to take with you, okay? I've got a couple of more minutes. Let me share them with you, all right? So how do you get comfort into your life? Number one, you find the one where, who has the power of comfort, right? right? Having a relationship with the one who has the power of, that, of comfort. Lots of different things there um, and understanding that. But number two, is that what you want, right? Is that what you want? Being open to change. You know, a repentant heart is one that does not want that. When we go to God, you know, Lord, here I am, I blew it again, but I'm gonna probably do the same thing again tomorrow. Right? That's not repentance. That's not wanting to change, right? Number three, accepting God's power in your life, right? That power is there if you want it, but you have to go to him for it. Let me give you a few. I didn't have time to do this last night, but let me just throw these. I've got so much. I over-prepare all the time, guys. I just really do. But let me throw these at you just so you can write them down. I don't have time to talk about them, okay? But here are some results I wrote down of someone who, who has mourned and has been comforted. Their past doesn't rule them anymore. That is a result of someone who's been comforted, who's mourned and been comforted. Your past doesn't have to rule you anymore. To be set free from your past seems for many to be a pipe dream because some people's pasts are pretty tough. You've walked down some bad roads, whether your own fault or somebody else's fault, it's still the same bad road. But I have found that when you mourn and he comforts you, those things in your past don't have to rule you. Number two, forgiveness begins to be a reality in your life. Why? Because one of the great ways for comfort when you mourn is to really be forgiven. Okay, now that's all. When you, you will begin to understand and appreciate the power of forgiveness and the freedom that comes in being forgiven. Interesting, huh? Well, that sounds good, Jeff, but I just don't want to have to go through that mourning part. Well, see, that's the problem. We want to do our own plan and want the same result, but that's not how it works. Who are you trusting? Who do you go for, to for? It's interesting. So forgiveness is reality. Three, power will be available to overcome things in your life you never thought were possible. 
I think that's the biggest impact that came in my life. Because all the old buddies, before I became a believer, when I became a believer, of course, I was real excited about things of the Lord. All the old buddies said, ah, I'll give you six months, and you'll be right back where you were. And, and I heard them, but I knew I was different. Not because I was different, because he made me different. I don't know, I can't explain that. But then things started happening. Things that had their hooks in me didn't have their hooks in me anymore. And it was a pretty amazing thing. Therefore, power to overcome, strength to overcome, name of the series. And then four, hope for the future begins to grow in you. You'll begin to look forward to tomorrow. Imagine that. Oh, Lord. There is great hope. Because even if I die tomorrow, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So, I know, it's, I know it seems like a pipe dream, Jeff. You don't know the mess I'm in. I probably don't. You don't know what's happened. Or, or maybe some of you, it's the, the ones that I, that I have the most heart for, because it, those of us who have had bad roads and bad paths, we understand our need. Those who think, well, I, you know, I've never done any of those things, so I don't need it. You're, you're the one that's in danger of missing it. The one that's blind to it, like David was for that whole year. Interesting. How's that close today? I've got to be done. I just want us, as we walk through this, I can't tell you how bad I want you to taste it. I found that if anybody gets a taste of his work in your life and the freedom it brings, I don't have to keep coaxing you to come back. I don't have to keep begging you to say, hey, don't miss. Hey, you need to be here. No, are you kidding? I'm, I'm first in line because I got a taste. Most people think it's a pipe dream because they've just relegated this life to being depressing and just being what it is. It's not who he's called you to be, I promise. He's called you for so much more, so much more.